If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. Today, we start out on another amazing journey together. I could not be more excited about what the Lord has for us here. Honestly, I lost sleep this week thinking about preaching 1 Corinthians. I'm so excited about what God is going to do for us here. But church, the journey that we're about to begin, though it's going to be great, it will not always be an easy journey. 1 Corinthians is an incredibly challenging book. Paul says many hard things in this book. This book will challenge your entire worldview. It will change the way that you think about yourself and about the world that you live in. This book will challenge your selfish desires. This book will call you to greater humility. This book will call you to greater unity. This book will call you to greater purity. If rightly understood, if rightly studied together, there are few areas of the Christian life that the book of 1 Corinthians will not speak to in really some significantly challenging ways. And while that is very exciting, it's also a little bit scary. Many of us are not used to having our lives be specifically challenged or corrected by God's word. I think most of us just love to be encouraged and envisioned by God's word, but a lot of Christians don't like to be corrected or changed by God's word. One of the men, one of the brothers at our corporate prayer meeting on Friday night actually prayed that he feels nervous about having parts of 1 Corinthians be preached to him. That makes sense to me. This book is super challenging. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read our text in just a moment, and then I want us to pray together quietly for just 60 seconds. I want us to bow our heads in humility and to invite the Holy Spirit of God to use 1 Corinthians and to use this next year of preaching to really do extraordinary things in our lives and in our life together as a church. And so in a moment, I'm going to encourage you, just pray quietly. Maybe sit in your chair and open your hands as an invitation to the Lord. Maybe bow your head before him. Maybe open up to 1 Corinthians and and flip through some of the pages and see some of the categories and pray about how God might want to adjust you and speak to you in those areas. But let's begin with the reading of God's word. Our text for this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus... And our brother Sothenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads with me and pray quietly for 60 seconds. Amen. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Why do we have the book of 1 Corinthians? 
What is the occasion or the reason for this book, which was written somewhere around the year 53 AD and written to a small church in the city of Corinth? Why did Paul the Apostle take up his pen and write these 16 chapters to this specific local church at this time? Well, in one way, that's a very easy question to answer, but in another, another way, it's a little more complicated. It is easy to the degree that we have very specific things that Paul says throughout this letter that are the reason for why he is writing. Paul has apparently heard reports, verbal reports, from people like Chloe, which you can see in verse 11. He's heard reports about what is going on in the church at Corinth and some of the divisions that exist within the church. And he has also received at least one letter from the church in Corinth that includes certain theological and practical questions for Paul and perhaps some even really strong challenges against Paul. And so Paul is writing to address these things. And many of those things are the subcategories for why Paul is writing. But what is the ultimate reason, the primary reason for Paul writing? Well, there are generally three reasons why scholars think that Paul took up his pen to write. First, some would suggest that it is to deal with a hyper-spirituality within the Corinthian church. These scholars would say that the Corinthian church has adopted a a Gnostic or a hidden or a a special spirituality among themselves, a a spirituality that allows them to to claim certain rights or privileges for themselves, even to to challenge the Apostle Paul, a, a special spirituality that enables them to live free from certain restraints and certain calls to obedience and that led them to be haughty or arrogant towards each other. Almost as if they walked around on Sunday morning saying, well, if you knew Jesus the way that I know Jesus, well, then you would have all the freedom that I get to enjoy. And so Paul's writing to counter this hyper-spirituality and to ground them in theological truth about the gospel. Other commentators, other scholars would say that Paul's writing to deal with an over-realized triumphalism in the Corinthian church. That Paul has heard that the Corinthian church is is so celebrating the grace of God and his victory in their lives through the gospel that they believe wrongfully that sin in this world can't touch them any longer. That that the victory of Jesus and the gospel makes them like like Teflon Christians. that, That sin won't stick to them but just fall off of them. Or that the world can't stain them any longer. And this this over-realized triumphalism was making them careless as a local church. Careless about sin. Careless in their love for each other. Careless about worldliness. Careless about areas of life that if not shaped in greater ways by the gospel would actually begin to contradict the gospel that they claim to believe in. And so Paul is writing to them to adjust them and to give them greater understanding of how though we are very secure as Christians, we are still called to fight against sin and against secularism in our midst. And that leads us to our third suggestion as to why Paul wrote this letter. Many scholars would suggest that he is simply seeking to address a worldliness which has crept into the Corinthian church. 
They just become lazy Christians and have allowed the culture around them to affect them too much. And so Paul writes to them to remind them of how they are called to be distinct and, and holy in this world. And so which of these reasons is why Paul wrote? Honestly, Redeemer Fellowship, I think it's all three. Each of these reasons hits on very real issues that we will find within the Corinthian church. Indeed, they do claim to have a special spirituality that makes them better than others. Indeed, they do seem to have an over-realized triumphalism. Indeed, they do seem to have become too worldly. The world has crept into the Corinthian church. I think that it's all of these things. And friends, I think the same letter could be written to us today as well for all of the same reasons. The Christian church today is guilty of all of these things in one form or another. In fact, I imagine that every Christian man or woman in this room can relate to at least one of these issues. Maybe you think of yourself as having a a special or a particularly mature understanding of the gospel that, that makes you haughty towards other Christians. Maybe you have an over-realized triumphalism, a perspective that you don't need to think about sin. You don't need to confess anything in your life. Maybe you are a Christian who has just become too worldly, allowing worldly philosophies and ideas and immorality to creep into your life and into your soul. I think that all of these are reasons for why Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and I think that all of these are reasons why we still need the letter of 1 Corinthians today. I need this. You need this. We all need this together. But listen, if these are the issues, how does Paul seek to deal with these issues? What is his approach to both caring for and simultaneously correcting the Corinthian church? Well, as we will see, his approach is to give them the gospel. And to give them the gospel again and again. Paul, as Douglas Moo says, Paul deploys theology to deal with issues. He deploys gospel theology. He uses theological truth of the gospel and specifically the theology of the cross to lovingly correct and to direct this specific local church. Another commentator says that Paul seeks to allow the reproclamation of the gospel to create a new value system in the lives of these Christians. And so Redeemer Fellowship, here's what 1 Corinthians is going to do for us this year. 1 Corinthians is going to deploy glorious theology about Jesus and the cross into our lives. It's going to deploy glorious truths into our lives in order to make us more confident in who he is and make us more like him through our holiness. And this morning, this morning in these first three verses, the theology that Paul is deploying already begins. And this will carry through the remainder of the letter. The theology that he deploys towards us this morning is to remind us that we are called by God. Called by God to salvation and called by God to obedience. Friends, here's the main idea for our message this morning. Every Christian has been called by God and is now called to live for God. 
Every Christian is called by God and is now called to live for God. And we have five points this morning. Number one, called by God. Number two, called out of darkness. Number three, called into Jesus. Number four, called towards holiness. And number five, called to experience grace and peace. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, we are called by God. Look at verse one. Paul called by the will of God. Look at verse two. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be Saints, if you look all the way down at verse 9, it says that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. This word call is a very significant theological word for us. To be called by God according to our Bibles is to be chosen by God. To be called by God speaks of our salvation in God and of his initiative towards our salvation. It speaks of God awakening you and I from death to life. To be called by God, Christian, it is one of our greatest hopes in life. The sovereign calling of God upon sinners. His calling you by name. His, His spirit, His Holy Spirit breathing life into your soul and giving you the ability to believe in Jesus. This calling is your only hope. Why? Well, because dead people can't make good decisions for themselves. Dead people actually can't do anything, can they? They can't believe in someone. They can't choose to change their lives. Dead people can't do anything. But dead people who are called by an omnipotent, all-powerful, and all-loving God who has breathed on them by his Holy Spirit and whose, whose spiritual hearts now begin to beat again because of that Spirit's work, those people come alive. To be called by God speaks of our salvation and our eternal hope glorious but listen to consider the word calling here does not only speak of our salvation it does something else for us as well and this is very intentional from Paul to be called by God here orients us towards someone outside of ourselves doesn't it see these these first three verses and how they speak of you and I being called by God they are intended by Paul to reorient us away from ourselves and back to God they're intended to individually and as a whole church family to place our footing not not on our own wisdom not not on our own perspective on life, not on our own idea of what is right or wrong or what is moral or immoral, not on our own desires for what life should look like. No, these verses about being called out by God are intended to place our feet firmly on the reality that God exists and that it is His voice and His calling and His wisdom and His glorious plan which establishes the only accurate perspective on this world and on your life. Christian, being called by God should radically change your worldview. It should change the way you think about yourself. It should change the way that you think about this entire world that you live in. It should turn us, Christian, it should turn us away from our overly individualistic and secularized psychologies 
about how we need to find out who we are by looking inside of ourselves. The, the idea of being called by God, honestly, not, not arrogantly, but truthfully, it should make us laugh at the idea that we can find happiness by listening to some inner voice within us. Or that our identity, whether that be our political identity, our, our social identity, or our sexual identity, this idea of being called out by God should make us honestly laugh at the idea that our identity is best determined by looking at ourselves. No, we, we are not the greatest reality in this world. We're not the engineers of this world. We didn't speak it into existence. We are not sovereign over our lives. Now, we are made by God with minds to, to think and to process and to make wise decisions. Indeed, you are stamped with the very image of God. You have God's glory within you. You are an image bearer. You have eternal worth and glory within you. But you are not the greatest reality of your life. And, and we, you, are certainly not the greatest source of wisdom for your life. No, God is. In his excellent book entitled, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, author Carl Truman talks about how over the last several centuries, not the last several decades, over the last several centuries, the Western culture has been intentionally moving towards a view of life where the greatest authority for life comes from within ourselves. He, he talks about how he talks about the difference between living with an external and an objective authority outside of ourselves, like God, or looking inside of ourselves to find our authority. And he talks extensively and brilliantly of how, about how it is this authority of self, the authority of our desires and our feelings that, that has led and is leading to the chaos of our culture today. And listen, if you're a college student, you know exactly what we're talking about. Because likely on your campus, there are thousands of people who are listening to what they hear from themselves, and inevitably it's leading to chaos again and again and again. Church, praise God that that is not who we are. We are called by God. Our authority comes from a far greater source than my own desires or inclinations. Our authority, our whole orientation in life comes from God himself. Church, the, the effect of this calling should be humility in us. And as we begin this sermon series, my prayer has been that we would very humbly acknowledge that it is God who is on the throne and not us. That he knows what is best for our lives. That his word is the authority over our lives. And listen, that we would hold no area of our lives as off limits to him. That there be no area of our life where we say, God, you can correct me in this area. You can correct me in that area. But God, don't touch this area. This is mine. No, my prayer has been that we would humbly acknowledge that he is truly the only wise God. And that as Paul says in chapter 8, yet for us, Redeemer Fellowship, yet for us there is only one God the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Church, we only exist because of him and his calling upon our lives, and so we owe our full allegiance and devotion and trust to him.
That brings us to our second point. Point number two, we are called out of darkness. This is a very short point, but it is an important one because it builds hope. We must notice the type of people that are being described as called by God here. Look at verse 1. Paul introduces himself as called by God. And then he mentions his friend and partner in ministry, this man named Sothenes. Both of these men were once far from Jesus. At one time, they both hated Jesus. According to the historical account in the book of Acts, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He hated Jesus. His sole mission in life was to destroy the Christian church in the first century. Paul was a murderer. He was an incredibly violent man. But now Paul is called an apostle of God. And Sothenes, who was the ruler of He was the ruler of the Jewish synagogue in Corinth in Acts chapter 18 and who likely stood against Jesus and Paul as well. He is now called a brother in this text. Church, it's not just Paul and Sothenes who have been called out of the darkness of their sin either. No, it's all of the Corinthians in the church as well. We're going to consider this more over time, but Redeemer Fellowship, the Corinthian church was a messed up place. They had so much baggage from their lives before coming to Jesus. This church in Corinth was not filled with churchy type people. They they didn't grow up in a Christian home. They didn't appear all polished and clean. No, they they had histories. They had stories to tell. In chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Listen, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's, but then he says, and such were some of you. That's their baggage. That's their history. But then look at these words. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Church, I love those words. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified. Listen, maybe, maybe as we start to study 1 Corinthians together today, as you listened to Sean pray earlier and as we prayed ourselves a few moments ago, maybe you are beginning to feel a little bit apprehensive. Maybe you feel like it's going to be a little too painful because you have too many sins for God to speak to. Maybe you feel fearful that God is going to lead you to, to openly confess sins in your life that no one else currently knows about, sins that you have hidden in the dark. Maybe you feel fear that God is going to cut off some area of your life that your flesh holds as precious. Church, look at the power of God's grace. Such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified by his grace. God has called us out of darkness. He has called us to himself. And listen, church, not only has he delivered us from darkness, he is now calling us towards great holiness. He's calling us even more into the light of his son as he desires to accomplish great things in our lives. And that brings us to our third point, point number three. 
we are called into Christ. We're going to see this more next week. That Paul is filled with love for the Corinthian church. They are very dear to him. He loves them. However, this love does not keep Paul from saying some very hard things to this local church family. He says things like, I could not talk to you as spiritual people, but as infants of the flesh. That that is not a compliment. He says things like, I write these things to admonish you. He says things like, your boasting is not good. Or things like, you are arrogant. He speaks of the Corinthian church as being ignorant of knowledge and lacking love for each other. In chapter 11, he says, I do not commend you. Because, you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. He speaks of them as, as lacking self-control and lacking wisdom and lacking discernment. Listen, some people have described the letter of 1 Corinthians as like a verbal spanking from the Apostle Paul. Friends, if that is what it is, then how are you and I supposed to get excited about this? Last time I checked, most of us don't like being strongly corrected. We're not fans of verbal spankings. We don't like looking at our sin in detail. We don't like seeing that there are areas of life that we need to change in. But friends, as we begin this study together, we must acknowledge together as the body that this resistance to godly conviction, this slowness on our part to welcome godly correction in our lives, primarily from God's word, that's our flesh speaking rather than God's grace speaking in our lives. And and we know this because God's word is very clear that when the spirit of God is present with us, we should want to grow in godliness. We should want to bear fruit. Verse 2, Paul says that we have been sanctified in Jesus. That, That means to be set apart for a holy, for a pure purpose. He calls us saints of Christ. He describes Jesus as Lord two times in these verses. That word Lord means that he's our master and that he has authority to direct our lives. Christians are supposed to be sanctified. We are supposed to be changed by God's grace. Jesus, our Lord himself, said that a tree is going to be known by the fruit that it bears. James says that faith, a profession of faith without active obedient works is dead faith. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, by no means are we supposed to go on sinning. No, the Christian life is supposed to be marked by growth in godliness and holiness. And so, Redeemer Fellowship, as, as the outworking of our faith, church family, we should actually feel an excitement about the idea of being convicted. We should actually feel like it's a good thing in our lives. The opportunity to grow stands before us and it should thrill our souls today as we start out on this journey. But Redeemer Fellowship, this is only possible. We will only get excited about true and deep sanctification and growth in godliness if we know not only how we have been called out of darkness through our conversion, but also how we have been called into Jesus. We've been called out of darkness and called into Christ. Look at how many times in these verses Paul finds 
identity for himself and for the Corinthians in or through Jesus. Verse 1, he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Verse 2, to the church of God that is sanctified in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, he prays that grace and peace will be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows the journey is about to begin. He knows that he has some difficult things to say to this church. And so he takes time to immediately remind them of how secure they are in Jesus. Their entire identity is hidden in Christ. We're going to see this more next week. Paul goes on to tell the Corinthian church that you are not your own for you were bought with a great price. Look at verse 8 of this chapter. He says, Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds them that they're both, they are both secure and actively being sustained by Christ. And so, Church family, this identity in Jesus, this reminder that because of his work on the cross, you and I are secure and that God does not hold our sins against us any longer. These reminders should give us courage to look honestly at our lives and our life together as a church family and to prayerfully assess where God might want us to grow, where we might need to change. Where have we become too worldly? Where can we become more like Jesus? Our security in him gives us the confidence to go on this journey with him. You know, a few months ago when when we were talking about God's providence in the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis, uh, we talked about how God's providence is like the tracks on a roller coaster, right? Life may go up and down and all around, but we know that God's providence is guiding us forward and we should be grateful for the tracks of his providence. But tracks are not enough for a fun roller coaster experience, are they? Tracks are very important, but it's also kind of important that you are securely fastened into the ride. I remember when I was a kid at, at Great Adventure, I went on a roller coaster, and we went over a loop, and one of my shoes fl- flew off. You don't want that to be you. And so when you sit down in that roller coaster and that restraint comes down and clicks tightly around you and almost pinches you in there, that enables you to enjoy the rest of the ride ahead. It holds you tightly and allows you to continue on the ride with, with joyful anticipation. Friends, Paul wants us to know that we've not only been called out of darkness, but that we've been called into Jesus. And we are secure in him. He is holding us tightly by his grace. We are clothed in his righteousness. His grace covers every area of our lives. His work on the cross has brought about the eternal favor of God the Father. And so we can walk this road with him. We can follow Paul on this journey. And we can do it with joy and anticipation that God has great good in store for us. And so let me encourage you. Be finding your identity in Jesus these days. May 2022 be a year where you become very confident in who you are, not in yourself, but in Jesus. That doesn't mean that life will be easy for you. It means that you will find the strength in him to walk through many challenges, many trials, and many areas of conviction from his word so that you might become more like him. Which brings us to point number four. We are called toward holiness. This is everything that we just spoke of to some degree in the last point, but I want to mention it briefly again here. Paul Paul says that we are sanctified. He, He says that we are called to be saints. 
Those are holiness words. We are called towards holiness. We are set apart for purity. We are called to godliness. We, we are called to be different from the world around us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, You were bought with a price, which is the blood of Jesus. So glorify God in your body. You know, 1 Corinthians is a very interesting letter because... Uh, though Paul is very quick to speak of his affection and his love for this local church, the content of this letter, 16 chapters, it's almost entirely corrective. Paul tackles four to five significant topics that exist within the Corinthian church, and he hits them repeatedly. It can feel a little bit like a punching bag. In chapters 1 to 4, he deals with the issues of division within the church the need for unity within the body of christ church i can't believe how timely chapters one to four are for the church in america today we need to hear paul speak about divisions within the church chapters five to seven he he deals with matters of of sexual purity and instruction for marriage and about the dignity of of singleness as well all topics greatly needed in our day Chapters 8 to 10, he he deals with the issues of selfishness within the church and the need to love each other in areas of of Christian liberty and throughout all of our daily lives. We need that today, to know how to love one another in a growing and diverse church. Chapters 11 to 14 deal with a a carnality, a a fleshliness within the church, particularly on, on Sunday mornings and how the church is not being led by the Holy Spirit, but rather is being led by their earthly desires and by their fleshly pride. Chapters 15 to 16 deal with the need for the resurrection. I love that we read Acts chapter 1 today. It's so fitting because that's where we're going to end this book later this year. As we live in a dying and in a decaying world, we need the hope of the resurrection. We need to remember that Jesus is alive. Folks, these are really big issues in the Corinthian church and in our lives as well. We need to learn more about purity. We need to learn more about unity. We need to learn more about how to be led by the Spirit. We need to learn more about the resurrection power that we have in Christ. But how? How do we deal with all of this? Friends, when something is wrong in our lives, isn't it important to find the right solution to that problem? If, if you are hurt or sick, don't you want your doctor to give you the right treatment for what is wrong? You know, just last week I was with family in Virginia and I was wrestling with my nephews and nieces and one of them took a, a large stuffed animal and slammed me over the head with it. It was a big shark and the fin of the shark came around my head and poked me right in the eye. And it was extremely painful. I, I, I couldn't recover right away. And it was the next day I woke up and it was swollen. It had bumps all over it. It was blood red all around. I looked like the, the eye of Sauron. It was bad and it was extremely painful. We didn't know what to do about it at first, but we got some old eye drops that we found and we put them in. And I can't tell you how badly it hurt when those eye drops first went in. It stung so bad. But then it began to soothe. And eventually the swelling went down. But when I put those eye drops in, I I had the thought, how important it is to apply the right medicine to an injury. Can can you imagine if I poured something else into my eye? If I accidentally grabbed the mustard or the salt or vinegar and poured that into my eye. How painful, how, how damaging that would be. 
Friends, as we enter into 1 Corinthians, Paul is highlighting some serious issues in our lives. He, he wants there to be healing in these areas. He wants us to be more holy. And I think that you and I might be apprehensive about how he is going to treat these things in our lives. Is he only going to highlight them and then leave us to deal with them in our own strength? Kind of saying, you're kind of screwed up, go and, and make yourself right. Is he going to pour the salt of condemnation into our lives or the, the vinegar of regret and shame into the wounds? Is he only going to cause more pain? And so should we resist all of that because we don't want to be hurt? Well, friends, though it might hurt at first, Paul has the perfect ointment for our lives. He has the perfect medicine. It is the theology of the cross and the blood of Christ. Immediately in this book, Paul does not leave us on our own, nor does he give us condemnation and shame. No, he gives us more of Jesus Christ. And he reminds us that it is Jesus and his work on the cross, his work that will sustain us till the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, God is calling us towards holiness this year, and it's going to sting a lot. But he is going to remind us every step of the way that Jesus and his blood are over our lives. He's going to remind us that Jesus, the very Son of God, came into this world as a baby and grew into a man living a perfect life. He's going to remind us that this Jesus died for us and that through his death and through his glorious resurrection, he has given us grace to live for him. Look at chapter 1, verses 28 to 30. It says, God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things are not, even things like a cross, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And listen, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul is so eager to deploy the gospel and the theology of the cross into our lives so that we might be sanctified and changed. He is the perfect medicine for our souls. And that brings us to our fifth and to a final point very quickly. Point number five, we are called to experience grace and peace. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 3, the end of our text, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at 16 chapters of, of rather corrective writing from the Apostle Paul to us as Christians, may we never forget that his desire and the desire of his Lord and Savior is that grace and peace will be multiplied in our lives. And friends, may we never forget that we are in this together. It is one thing to deal with correction on your own in isolation. That is a very lonely and painful experience. But it is an entirely different thing to, to weather that correction while being united to brothers and sisters who are going through it with you. And I love how he speaks of the saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 
we together are clinging to this Lord Jesus Christ, and he is getting ready to sanctify us more into his image. May his grace and peace be multiplied in us.